ko te whiri, ko te whati, ko te whakairo, naurā hine, naumai hine ki te wharepora, ko te whanua, ko te whakatipu, ko te whanautanga mai, naurā e hine, naumai hine ki te wharetangata. Whakamaua te taimona, whakamaua te ahumatua, whakamaua te iratangata, whiri whiri a kia tēnā. Haumie huie, tae ki e. On the evening of March 11, there were lots of people in the house of Crystal and Hōhua Arapere. The aroma of rongowā filled the air. The mood was one of anticipation and calmness, juxtaposed with anxiety and pain. In the corner of the house in the living room was a birthing pool. It's where Crystal Arapere gave birth to her son, Te Rangitāmero. Her husband, Hōhua, recited karakia. The birth took three hours. We just had dim lights. Um, we had Waiata playing. No, 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 you're right. <laughs> so Dad Hawk was just taking pee-pee to go and get the kids at school. It's around about 10 to 3 in the afternoon. So no daddy duties. <laughs> yeah, and I think that just really played a big part in what they call um, the oxytocin hormone, which is that real feel-good hormone. Um, when you're relaxed, your labour and everything will will be a lot better because you you well yeah I I thought it was I thought it really was I think if I had have gone to hospital, well firstly I don't like hospitals so I would have been on edge, um, and then I would have had different doctors and different nurses coming in and out depending on shifts, um, and I I think. Just being in control of your own labour. You set the tone, Fano set the tone. Yep, and just saying, actually, I'm not comfortable in this position, I need to get off this bed, you know, I need to walk around. Um, It was my own house, um, so I felt comfortable. Had a good partner. Good partner. Did you you two train for that, or was it just when it happened, it happened? She trained. No. (laughs) So we had a... um, a birthing pool, oh, yes. and that was set up there in the corner, and we just put a curtain up here, because as you can see, it's all open plan, so yeah. we just wanted to separate our kai area from our um, our birthing area. Yeah, we were really lucky to have a, a, a good home birth, and we didn't have to go to hospital. Was it the same um, for your first two tamariki? Or? For my son, it was. Um, this was Hōhua's first home birth experience. Um, Waho was born in hospital. So it took us through the process of setting it up. The reason why I first chose to have a home birth was just for the pure fact that I really kind of don't like hospitals. <laughs> I think they're, they're, they're a place to go when you're sick. Obviously you need extra help when you go to hospital and I never saw giving birth as a sickness. Um, it's something that our tūpuna have done for hundreds of years, if not under a tree or next to a river somewhere or, you know, in a little whare. Um, And I just thought, you know, if my tūpuna could do that, then I can too. Um, I'm not going to be the first woman to give birth at home and I won't be the last. I'm here in the couple's home in the small town of Ashurst in the Manawatu. In tonight's Te Ahikā, they share their story about choosing traditional birthing methods that draw on tikanga Māori. 
And later on, I'm with consumer reviewer for the New Zealand College of Midwives, artist and advocate of traditional birthing practices, Makarita Pakui. So this is a karakia used for what purpose, again? Ngamahi o te pura, but all aspects of um, womanhood, phases that we go through in our life, in particular childbirth, but it's also a beautiful karakia for when we're going through uh, the process of preparing for weaving, for raranga, um, or any of the traditional arts that we acknowledge, you know, that sacred place that we come from. I'm Justine Murray and this is Tiahika on RNZ National. Crystal and Hohua Arapere decided to have a lotus birth with their son Terangi Tamiro. Crystal had heard about the practice 11 years ago. Initially, she thought it was a bit out there. But when she delved a bit deeper, she decided that it was best for baby. After she gave birth on March 11 this year, the placenta was left attached to baby, instead of being cut off. It would stay attached to the petal until it came away naturally. The lotus birth is considered a method of lessening infection for both mother and baby, but for Crystal and Hohua, it was about keeping baby and whenua together to continue that hononga, or that link to one another. The tikanga aspects of things is um, quite uh, I don't know, natural. I think um, our tūpuna had ways of nourishing our um, pepe and as soon as they uh, were born, that um, they knew that the only kai that our tamariki, our pepe had, um, was that whenua. And the whenua, that's what the kids, the babies, um, that's their food source. And so depriving them of that food source by cutting all their, their tāngāinga off or their um, pito that took away that, that nourished or that sustenance. So by leaving it on and um, letting the pepe get as much as they could from it um, was probably not so um, weird, but it was normal back then. You know what I mean? Like It wasn't that... Um, until colonisation come uh, come over and then had, they had their own um, ways of life, colonising uh, our people into doing it their way. So I believe um, our tūpuna had the intention of leaving the whenua um, until it fell off itself. Um, and even with our boy, he um, he kicked it off. He kicked his own whenua off and um, the tāngāna up and we, we believe that you know, it was the time, the time was right, he no longer needed it. It dried up enough so he got everything out of it, he got all that kai that he's been eating for nine months <laughs> and then at the end he, he, was, he had enough and it was it's no longer needed so he dropped it off um, and I kind of... A name for it I, um, we thought about was um, just he whānau noa, uh, and, that, and that talks about um, people ask me, oh, what, what's a lotus birth in Māori? Or, and, um, and we just call it he whānau noa. It's just the way it is. Um, or whānau Māori mai. 
a natural birth and and the way of just baby doing what he does. Yeah. When the whenua is eventually birthed, you just pick it up um, and place it onto a... We, we chose to use a, um, like a kupe, a, you know, the cloth nappy. Um, not the disposable ones, just the normal old school white ones. And we had a... Um, a waterproof cloth under that, eh, hun? And we just salted it and put lavender with it and then wrapped it up and then put it into a bag. And that bag was then wrapped up against Baby in his blanket. Um, so it's still all attached to him. Some of the kōrero that we found out um, through Fano and friends was that it's very natural. Basically, one of the questions that was put to us was, well, how do you actually know what the whenua is providing for that child before you cut it off? A lot of midwives and doctors are actually encouraging women to keep the whenua attached until it start, stops pulsing now. Because before, I think when the baby was, was born, it just used to be clamped and cut straight away. But they're actually, through more research, they're finding that leaving the whenua to do that extra bit of mahi and giving the baby that extra goodness does wonders for the baby. Once it's birthed, once the whenua is birthed, it continues to pulse for the baby for about another five, ten minutes. So it's actually still giving the baby goodness even after it's been born. It's a bit of a backup system for the baby as well. So if anything goes wrong with their breathing or um, they're just needing a little bit of a, a head start once they're born, then the whenua is like a backup system. So, um, yeah, I think with the lotus, with the lotus birth, um, it made us also then question, well, if the whenua comes off naturally by itself then maybe that's just the way it was intended to be. At the time of my visit, Terangitamira was only 12 days old, so Crystal showed me baby's whenua placenta. This is the, the little cotton bag that we um, kept baby's whenua in, so we just tied it up like that. We'd just wrap it up next to his puku and his blanket, so he was still able to be picked up and cuddled. Um, and that's the, this is the um, waterproof change, the disposable change mats. And that's baby's fennel in there. And it, as you can see, it's just gone hard. And that's the cord that he kicked off. So it's literally just a really dry, brittle stick. And you can just smell the lavender. We had to um, change it probably about three times in the five days that we because the salt eh, the salt just draws it out draws all the moisture out and just keeps it really really well preserved to look at it now it's hard to think that it was what it was when he was born you know there was a lot of blood and you know very moist obviously but um yeah yeah. You don't know whether people will go Woo, and find it a bit weird, but um, for us, I think um, just to share the fact that this is how we did it um, might encourage other people to have a go.
because we kind of had to try and work it out for ourselves. So another beautiful aspect of tikanga in our birthing practices is that it have really come alive and resurged back to the place that it should be has been through Pau and Karanga. You know, and there's some beautiful queer throughout our whole mutu who are those repositories of that kōrero and that tikanga, especially around birth. Mākerita paku no muri finua, ngai tūhoi, ngati kahunganu and terarua is a mum of eight and has had only one of her births in a hospital. She works as a reviewer for the New Zealand College of Midwives. She's an artist and writer on the home birth website, and is an advocate of traditional Māori birthing practices. She is not a midwife, but has spent the past 25 years giving birth and raising a fano. There are many aspects of Makarita's life that connects into haputanga or the practice of traditional birthing methods, the kohanga reo movement, her work as a contemporary artist, and her iwi and hapu influences. Our tūpuna had their own practices relevant to the area, but from the migration period, um, our traditional Māori structure and that time was organised in a way that we had Ariki, uh, who were the kaihotu of our waka, so they were our leaders. And then we had our rangatira, which were made up of rangatira and tohunga, followed by our tutua um, class, which were extended whānau hapu members. Um, and the wider community. So within that structure, men and women both carried roles of responsibility uh, to their existence. So in terms of traditional Māori birth, it's quite different than what it was today because, for example, our men, our tohunga, our rangatira, our fathers, our brothers, our uncles, they all helped in the process of growing and nurturing hapu women, our women, and the children, and their contributions in terms of whether it was food gathering, hunting, um, the nurturing and growth of mother and child, their contributions were quite large in that respect. And even with our kaumātua, every single person in each community, hapu extended whānau, made a contribution. So in bringing those practices of um, traditional Māori birthing methods with pēpi, how is that practised at a whānau level? My, my um, background has really been a consumer of haputanga um, health services. That comes with approximately 25 years of experience in engaging in pregnancy health care services that have been available or not, avail- mm. not available based on the areas that we've lived in. I've been fortunate to experience um, delivery in a rural setting, semi-rural, um, in Ōtaki, and up here in, in Napier and the Hawke's Bay, and the two vastly different structured health systems. So from being not so directly involved in the DHB system to being 
right at the right face the of, it, of it, I've come to learn a lot about how, how the system works and does not work for women and their families. I've just taken up a new role working for the New Zealand College of Midwives as a consumer reviewer and um, it's a role that works to, and contributes towards um, the midwifery standards and their practices so my role is to support in the quality assurance of the midwifery services that they provide. With a framework that is not tikanga Māori or when you say New Zealand College of Midwives that it's called Tūranga Kaupapa. So that's the beautiful thing about how I feel, what I'm able to bring. So when you say consumer standards, it, does it mean that... So I'm a consumer, so I'm not a midwife. Yes. I'm a consumer, so I'm, I am I have experience as a consumer of midwifery services, so I'm, I'm the client, I've, I've been the consumer. And I suppose the scope that I bring is a vast experience of eight births and attending other births but also what engagements I've had with hospital system, the DHB system, the whole lot, um, the home birth movement and in particular I just have a passion about traditional Māori birth and what, what it was that our ancestors did to have been able to grow strong healthy people and how we can bring that into the context of a contemporary world that we live in now. Information is readily available online when it comes to home birth and traditional practices. Hastings-based collective Ngā Māia Māori Midwives Aotearoa is a national organisation that represents Māori birthing and implementing Mātauranga Māori both in pregnancy and childbirth. So in about 2002, I became involved and joined on Tungamai as a member. I need to acknowledge at this point that my experience and my learning within the kaupapa of Haputanga actually began within the Kohanga Reo movement through the Kura Kaupapa Māori movement and I say movement because it's been, there was a period of time in the early 90s, late 80s where um, there was a huge struggle and I was drawn to that and when I speak of revitalisation it, it was through Te Reo Māori and the struggles of fighting to be able to speak the Reo that I came into contact with other parents in, in Kohanga which I think is a beautiful place for where a kaupapa about haputanga begins. My mentor um, Tungani Kani who has gone on to connect many women around Aotearoa with other Māori midwives and from that connection with Tungani I became connected in the rohi that we were living at the time which was Ōtaki with Tirunanga Orokawa with many thanks to Ngamaya who now have 10 committees around the country operating so they do a lot of hard work to advocate and support Māori women on a whole and in particular nurturing Māori midwives that are studying because we do have a huge shortage of Māori midwives we need a lot more We do, do we? We do yeah. and with the projections that Ahorangi Mason Jury has made with our population growth and the state of our health as a nation you know, in the next 40 years um, 
we're going to need a lot we do need a lot more health professionals and in particular with our, our growth we need Māori midwives on the ground we're very short there's a beautiful woman that lives here in Hawke's Bay called Di Reefman and she developed a program called Hini Tukaha and her work, her background is a massage therapist in many disciplines um, but she developed this program through Ngamaya around birth dances from a traditional perspective and you have things like yoga active birth um, techniques and there's many others um, worldwide but what's very specific and what Dai has developed from a tangata whenua perspective is that our people had their own practical methods that were very efficient in aiding safe delivery of our babies and I like to emphasise safe delivery because we're talking about a time when our Tupuna were having 10, 15, 20 plus children over a long period of time and survived and lived well and lived healthy, you know, and produced healthy, strong people. So as, as an example of how we could maybe retain that knowledge so that we can transfer into the next generations is something that I'm particularly interested in. I think of my Ngāti Kahunguru Whakapapa and my children's Ngāti Raukaua Whakapapa, which is one of my favourite stories about Tūrongo Mahi Nārangi. Tūrongo Mahi Nārangi, they used Hoko Roire as their birthing place to help assist her in her water birth. So things like water birth that you hear about now today in a bathtub, it's not so much a new thing now, but probably 20 years ago, it, you know... There's only one certain way that you gave birth, but now that's a huge part of birthing. But probably like many other cultures and indigenous peoples, these practices aren't new. Of course we didn't have bathtubs back then, but we had the environment that we lived in, and we had traditional places that we knew we could go to, and that was through Reo Tukuiho, that was from you know, the oral histories that are passed down that we know of these things and that's really how it survives is because it's knowledge that's imparted and so I think for the 21st century we still need to be making sure that the oral history for Te Ao Māori is being imparted so that, you know, our children know and they know that they can be responsible for themselves because they have a means to do that. They know how to manage themselves, they know how to comply with what the needs are of their own bodies and the and the children that they carry, so that there's not a full dependence on any other type of system that's actually foreign to us. And that's not to discourage um, any other type of healthcare system, because also in a modern world, we have wonderful technology that does save lives. You know, that does save complications, that does save injury. And there seems to be a resurgence of Māori birthing practices today as Makarita explains. Absolutely, and this is why I keep saying why I love Kohanga Reo so much, because in the generation that we are now, we are seeing our tamaraki and our you know, parents whom, because traditional Māori birth is normalised to them, because they've been exposed and because they've attended and because they've participated in any of the phases of childbirth, or all of them, it's naturalised to them. And so, you know, I, I love it when we get 
a niece or a nephew or whānau who's ringing up or Facebooking and saying, oh, auntie, you know, um, what's that karakia again? You know, or can you help me find a mighty midwife, please? You know, and and I just love it when they do that. And it's like, oh, yes, and, and how... And that opens up the door to start engaging and saying, oh, you know, how about this? Are you all right for that? You know, do you need some help? Tell me what you need. So... I think that very much um, traditional Māori birth in any environment, so that's probably a key message that I, I like to tell Fano is that, you know, traditional Māori birth exists anywhere that you, where you are, you claim that. So, because that's your rangatiratanga, that's your mana. Crystal and Hōhua have three children, seven-year-old Te Kaka Paiwaho, 11-year-old Koya Uruterangi and Terangi Tamiro. Today, Crystal says she has no regrets about choosing a lotus birth. We just felt a real wairua about our labour and um, it, w- it, was just, it was just awesome not to have strangers sort of intervening and in, in telling you that you have to do this and now do this and try this. And we were just allowed to just basically let it roll out and just let the journey happen, um, which was really, really cool. So, yeah, most definitely I would really encourage um, Wahine to um, to look at natural birthing methods. Um, the lotus birth too, it actually wasn't that hard. And a lot of people sort of think, mm, yuck, you know, mm, keeping the whenua, oh, I don't know, it's a bit yucky. Um, but actually that whenua is as much a part of that baby as the baby itself you know when when that baby's first conceived in in your in your womb it turns into two things half of that half of that nucleus turns into a baby the other is the whenua so they're one and the same you know the whenua is the baby the baby is the whenua so um the whenua during this journey of the lotus birth, the whenua became quite special to us because um, it was the thing that nourished our child. So, in a sense, we were giving it back the mana that it deserved. If that if that makes yeah. sense, yeah. And we just didn't want to just say, "Oh, you've done your job now. Cut you off. You know that you done." Um, we just allowed it to just be part of baby and I guess in a religious sense too um, God I guess God kind of intended it to be like that as well you know this is kind of going back to our faith um, of just kind of believing that God intended it to be like that if the funeral was supposed to be cut off then it would probably fall off during labour then your body would just know that okay we don't need it anymore fall off um, but obviously there's some reason there must be some reason why the whenua is still attached to the baby and why it just falls off naturally so it's a practice that's been done for thousands of years um, I'm not actually sure why it's called a lotus birth um, but I have read in some of my research that um, Native American Indians did it, um, Asian people did it. Um, so, it, yeah, it made us really question, well, yeah, did, did our Māori people do something similar? 
Um, we've heard of even um, some tupuna um, biting the cord because if there was nothing there to cut it with. Um, we've heard of um, some people milking the cord, which is just running your fingers from the whenua to the baby along the cord after the baby's been born. So milking all that goodness towards the baby. So there's all this sort of kōrero that comes out. It's been really um, a really amazing journey and something that I've um, I've really enjoyed experiencing. Yeah.